Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Reading of the Word, Jude 1, 17 through 25. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to show mercy with fear, hating even the garments that are stained by flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Good morning. It's great to be together. Thank you, worship team, for leading us and for reading this morning. Uh, We are going to finish this series this morning and finish the book of Jude. Not that we spent a lot of time in Jude, it's so short, but we're going to finish that up this morning. So um, yeah, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we do. Lord, thank you so much for uh, this uh, book, for Jude. Uh, it, it is often neglected, but uh, it's such an important one in our times. Likewise with Second Peter, which we've studied together this fall. Uh, and as we just go through uh, your conclusion to the matter, uh, I pray for myself and every one of us that you'd lift our thoughts up to you. Uh, help us understand the parts that are harder to understand and in all of it to apply it to our lives, to help us walk better with you and more faithfully live out your, our calling, your calling on our lives. So we look to you now, Lord. We look to you. Please help us. Guide us, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A few months ago, some uh, commuters in a suburb of London had a very confusing experience. Uh, they parked their car in a, on a particular street. It was a street many of them had parked on lots of times before. It was kind of their parking place. And, and they'd been there so many times, they knew the spots were legal. They knew the spots were legal. Uh, but when they came back a few later, hours later, so they parked and then they went off and did you know, their shopping or work, whatever they had. When they came back a few hours later, they were surprised to see that their windshields all had tickets on them. They had parking tickets on them. And they got a little more close, and and they were even more surprised to see that they were, in fact, parked in a no-parking zone. Uh, It was right there, the yellow lines they use in England, I guess a double yellow line to mark where you're not allowed to park. There There were the double yellow lines underneath their cars where they had parked that morning. And they were just sure that they that it had been legal before when they'd parked there. It was just so confusing. How could this be? 
Well, it turns out they were right. Uh, Apparently, the city council, this particular uh, suburb, had passed an ordinance several weeks before that kind of updated the ordinances, and they'd made that street where it had previously been legal to park. Now it was a no-parking zone. And that morning, uh, the crews had showed up to mark the new lines, and when they showed up and they saw that there were all these cars there, they did the logical thing as far as they were concerned. They brought in a crane and lifted up each car one at a time, painted the yellow lines underneath, and then put the cars back down again. And wouldn't you know it, very short time later, a parking enforcement officer came by. Perhaps he'd been tipped off. That was a big controversy. A parking enforcement officer came by, saw all these cars parked in a no-parking zone, and so he got out his book and he ticketed every single one of them. Sometimes it feels like the whole world has done that. Sometimes the whole world feels like that. It feels like someone changed the rules while we weren't looking. Uh, Things that used to be honored and admired in our culture. Now people are suspicious of many of them, including what you're doing right now, going to church. A lot of people are are suspicious of it, have no interest at all. Uh, Other things that used to be forbidden, taboo, unacceptable, now they're accepted, sometimes even celebrated many times even celebrated in our culture. It really is like what happened to those drivers. The rules changed. The rules changed right beneath our feet. And and it's not even an old person thing. I've had my my own children who are in their 20s and younger tell me they feel that way sometimes. It feels like the rules have changed so quickly. Uh, This fall, we've been talking about how to live in times like that. That, that's really what we've been talking about. We've been asking this question, how do we live with sense in, in serious times? Or, or to put the question in another way, maybe a little more bluntly as we come to the end here, how do we hold on to our faith? How do we hold on to our faith when so many around us don't share it? How do we hold on to our faith? Well, this morning we're going to conclude this series by, by answering the question directly. Uh, we've been answering it for nine weeks, right? We've been answering this question from different angles and talking about different things. But now I just want to answer the, answer the question straight. How do we hold on to our faith? How do we live with sense in, sensible, in senseless times and serious times? And the answer we see here at the end of Jude is that we center our lives on Jesus. That's how you do it. Uh, even if no one else around us does, we center our lives on Jesus Christ. That's the way to live with sense in serious times. Uh, We're going to finish up Jude this morning. We're going to go through the last third of the book. You are all troopers. We uh, covered two-thirds of the book last week and uh, kind of an extra little uh, bonus content there at the end, but with some extra long. Today will be more normal for us as we go through the last uh, nine verses of Jude, verses 17 through 25. And what I want to do is I take you through these verses. I just want to show you four ways to do this. Four ways to center our lives on Jesus. And, and they're, they're kind of general things, to be sure, although I think they really, all of them apply in one way or another to this issue we've been wrestling with this fall. How do we live with sense in serious times? How do we hold on to our faith, even if, if so many around us don't share what we believe? So, so let's look at four ways to center our lives on Jesus. Uh, number one, the first way to center our lives on Jesus is to remember his warnings. And this first one's probably the most specific for the serious times theme. Uh, When you live in serious times, when it feels like they're changing the rules every month, uh, remember the Lord's warnings. And so what this first one does is it helps us with uh, with processing, right? How are we going to process the stuff that's going on around us? How do we process it when people come against us? because of our faith in Christ. And Jude's answer is right there in verses 17, 18, and 19. Remember the warnings, he says. Uh, 
So he starts out, verse 17, he says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he, he does something we've looked at. He's done it before. Peter did it a lot too. He points us back to the word, right? That's what he's doing. So we've, we've talked about this, as we, especially in 2 Peter. I emphasized it more. The theme carries over here because the two books have so much in common. Uh, but we, we, he's, he's talked about how the apostles, the, writing of the writings of the apostles are scripture, right? And so the apostles are writing under the authority of Jesus. So when he refers to uh, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord, he's talking about this. He's talking about it's shorthand. It's a shorthand way of saying scripture. And so what he says is, is the, remember the predictions. God warned us. God warned us in his word uh, that it was going to be hard sometimes. Uh, not all the time, right? There's lots of blessings, lots of joyful pleasures uh, that come with following Jesus and walking with him. But we've been warned. There's also challenges. There's persecution sometimes. There's dangers that we'll face along the way. Uh, we have lots of warnings like that. We have general warnings. Jesus gave us one. John chapter 16, verse 33. Uh, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Right? It's real kind of a downer <laughs> when you read through that chapter. So in this world you'll have trouble. You can count on it. But then it's not a downer because the very next thing he says is, I'm, I'm with you. He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. So I'm going to be with you. It's going to be okay, but... Just be warned. Know that it's coming. You will have trouble. That's one of those generic uh, or generals, the better word, general warnings that are like that. There are also specific ones. And Jude, I think, points to one of those specific ones here in verse 18. So he says, remember the warnings. And then he gives us one of those warnings. They said to you, who? The, the, the apostles who wrote the scriptures. They said to you in the last times, and we talked about that phrase in Second Peter, the last times is everything that's happened since Jesus, right? From Jesus up to, the, to when Jesus comes comes back is, is the last times from a biblical perspective. So they said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions, right? There will be scoffers, uh, Jude says. And, and I actually think, I think there's a very good chance he's, he may even be quoting second Peter here. We've talked about how these two letters have so much in common, um, and so scholars like to debate, was one written before the other and a source for the other guy? And if that's the case, I would, like to, I would be inclined to think Peter wrote his book, and then Jude maybe had a copy of Peter's, or maybe he'd heard it a few times, and, and it's in his head, uh, which is just to say Jude may well be quoting Peter here, because Peter says exactly that. It's actually in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. We looked at it a few weeks ago. Know this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Jude seems to point to that verse or a verse much like it. And, and, and the word means, we talked about this word scoffers, to scoff, it means to mock, to make fun of, to scorn someone. Uh, in context, he's talking first and foremost about those false teachers that we talked about at length last week, verses 5 through 16. He's talking about them. So it's specifically that notion. But there's a general principle here because he says in the last days, right? In all those, that long period until Jesus comes back, the, the warning is it's always going to be the case. It's always going to be, the, there will always be people who mock Christians because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, they'll scorn morality. Morality is mentioned here. I think it's one, it's the big one that he's focused on. Uh, they will scorn biblical morality, they, they follow their own ungodly passions, uh, he says. And so, I mean, it, it just makes sense. I mean, if you've reversed the position, we may well do the same thing. I mean, God's people say, well, that, that over there, that's, that thing is sinful, 
right? That, that ungodly passion, that, that sinful desire, as Peter describes it. Uh, and so people who are committed to that, of course, they're going to be offended and, and, and respond with uh, anger, with scoffing, with dismissive, dismissiveness and derision and so on. And so they'll scorn biblical morality. And then he, he talks a little bit more uh, about these scoffers. Verse 19, uh, it is these who cause divisions uh, they are worldly people devoid of the Spirit, he says. And, and if I were to just summarize that verse, he's saying they're, they're, they're nothing but trouble, right? There's, there's going to be trouble. You're going to be dealing with trouble. They're going to cause division in your ranks. They're going to spread worldliness among you. They're gonna, uh, and, and there's none of the Spirit, right? This is how we know we're dealing with unbelievers. They're devoid of the Spirit. There's no Holy Spirit working uh, in, the, in these people's lives. And so they're, they're going to cause you lots of trouble, uh, he says. And so there's a warning, right? Verses 17, 18, and 19 are, are a warning. Uh, the takeaway from that, I think, is don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, right? Don't be surprised when, uh, you know, when we're mocked in, in some sectors, some corners. You know, perhaps it's media or movies or whatever it might be. Don't be surprised when we're, when we're, we're labeled as bigots or intolerant or, or closed-minded, as, as we so often are, right? I mean, and, and, and this is where... I, I, I think this is where we go wrong sometimes. You know, sometimes we, we do. We come off as angry. We come off as, um, you know, uh, easily offended in our own way. We come off this way sometimes. We get all angry and upset when, when we are criticized and are treated that way. And I do understand the impulse. I, I wrestle with that myself. But, but I'm not so sure that's the right. In fact, I'm, I'm sure it's not the, the right response. Right? Because when we respond that way, we're forgetting what we were told. We're forgetting the warning. Right? We shouldn't be surprised by it. Jesus said it was going to happen. It's like planning a picnic on a day when you know it's going to rain. Right? They say it's going to rain tomorrow, 100% chance it's going to rain at 2 o'clock. So you're like, hey, let's go for a picnic at 2 o'clock. And you set up everything and you're eating your, your, your sandwiches. And you're like, isn't this great? And then it starts to rain. And it's like, argh, why is it raining? It's like, dude, the forecast said 100% chance of rain. Why are you surprised when it starts raining? It's like that with this. Why are we surprised when, when they belittle us or run us down or scorn us or any of that kind of stuff. There's a little bit of that sense. So, so we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't respond with that kind of righteous or unrighteous, unrighteous anger. We shouldn't respond that way. Uh, we can be uh, hurt by it. Well, maybe we're uh, uh, grieved by it. <laughs> we could be troubled. We could be concerned for the people who express that kind of stuff. After all, their souls are in peril. But we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't respond to that kind of angry uh, angry uh, indignation when scoffers scoff, right? That's what scoffers are going to do. Scoffers scoff, mockers mock. It's what they do. So, so don't be surprised, right? There's this warning aspect to it. Expect that it's going to happen. That's one way we approach serious times. You live with sense. Don't be surprised when this stuff happens. Uh, the second one that Jude's going to point us to here is to stand in his love. Stand in the Lord's love. When you live in times like this, you need to stand in his love. And this is what Jude tells us to do in verses 20 and 21, right? So verses 17 through 19 tell us how to process the scoffers. The next two verses tell us how to protect ourselves from, from that scoffing. And the way to protect ourselves is to stand firm, hold on to the Lord's love. So, so let me read them again. 20, 21. Uh, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, 
waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So let's zoom in on the, the, the main verb there first. There's a main verb that controls the other ones. Uh, and it's the beginning of verse 21. It's keep. Keep yourselves. So it's, it's keep, but keep it, do something for yourselves. Keep yourselves. And, and what this word means is to, uh, to stay put. So it's this idea of staying put, but it's not a, a passive staying put. It's an active staying put. And, and, and so what it has actually is the sense of guarding. So it's almost like keep watch or stand guard. Um, we might say hold your ground. The phrase, the English phrase, hold your ground, is a pretty nice translation, actually, of, of, of that verse, uh, verse 21. Hold your ground. Stand firm in uh, the love uh, of God. It makes me think of a football team, right? It's football season. I think of a football team making a goal line stand. Right, so there's 30 seconds left in the game. You're leading by five. I think we had a game like this or close to some of this with our high school team this year. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're ahead by just a tiny little bit. There's a little bit of time left. You've got to make one more stand, right? And so you're, the other team, they've got you pinned down inside. You know, they're in the red zone. And if you can just keep them out, right? If you can just hold your ground, if you can keep them out of the end zone, you're going to win the whole game. That's this kind of a, a word right here. Except it's not talking about defending yards from the, from the, uh, from the other offense. It's about how we situate ourselves in God's love, right? It's like, don't let anyone shove you off the line. Don't let anyone move you out of his love for you, his mercy, his acceptance, uh, his embrace of you. Uh, I said um, back in last week, we talked about, give me my notes here. (laughs) Uh, Maybe I need to update my iPad's operating system. It keeps freezes on me. Um, Verse 2. I mentioned verse 2 last week. So if you've got your Bible open, look at verse 2. Verse 2 is part of the introduction, and and it's an interesting little verse, and I said I was going to come back to it this week. Verse 2 says, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Jude is going to come back here in the conclusion to all three of those themes. And he, he doesn't use all three words, although he uses at least two of them. But I think we see all three of those themes. So we talked about multiplied love, mercy, and peace. And I actually put a pin in it and said we'd come back this week because we see them here in this text. So the first one he deals with is the love, right? He's talking about love. We're standing firm in, we're keeping ourselves in the love of God. That's that multiplied love. Hold your ground in that. God loves us more than we can begin to wrap our, 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 our finite minds around. And he says, stand in that. Hold your ground in that. He also tells us how to do it. He equips us. He doesn't just give us a command. He tells us how to do it. And there are actually three ways in just that little two-verse two uh, sentence there. Uh, the first way is to build up your faith. He says, build up your faith. But you, beloved, building yourselves up to your most holy faith. I picture any building anything. I think of building a fort, right? Because a fort is kind of this protective, stand your ground sort of a thing. If you build a fort, you're saying we're going to protect this territory, and that's sort of the picture here. Build, build your your spiritual fort because it's it's building in the faith. He says, and so do those things that make your faith stronger. How do we live in senseless times, serious times? Uh, we we build up our faith. We spend time in the word. We spend time uh, learning doctrine, right? Those of you who go to that doctrine Sunday school class we're doing, that's time well invested, right? Read the Bible, learn the doctrine, obey the commands, build yourself up, make those walls good and strong, he says. Uh, Praying is the second way we do it, right? He talks about praying in the Holy Spirit there in that that verse. 
there's a contrast here with the scoffers from verse 19, right? So they're devoid of the Spirit. There's no Holy Spirit at work in them, but God's people are filled with the Spirit, right? We have the Spirit working in us so that when we pray, we're not just babbling like pagans, you know, the picture from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. We are uh, praying in the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is, is uh, helping us and anointing us and, and guiding us in how we pray and how not to pray and all that kind of stuff. So that's another way we build ourselves up in the faith. It's through prayer. And then the third thing he talks about there in, in verse 21 is waiting. And, and what he's, he's, I think what he's doing here is he's reminding us to fix our hope on, on what is to come. Right? So he talks about the Lord's mercy. We keep ourselves in the love of God while we are waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Uh, he's talking about the second coming. He doesn't use the term second coming, but uh, that's, that's, wh- that's what we're waiting for. We talked about it in, in that whole chapter 3 in Second Peter. What we're waiting for is the return of Jesus. That's when that mercy will be fully uh, and, and visibly revealed. Right? So we're waiting for his return. And so there's this sense of, of, of that forward, keep your eyes forward on what, fixed on what God is going to do, what he's going to do for us, what he's already done, but then in the actualization of it when Jesus returns. And so there's this forward-lookingness, this future-lookingness to Jesus. Not that we check out now, we're faithful now, but we fix our hope on that which is to come. So the takeaway here, so stand in the Lord's love, abide. I love that verse from John 15 where Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Uh, And it goes back to this idea of, of standing firm in, right? Keep yourselves in, plant your feet, in the Lord's love. Read his word, spend time in prayer, be part of a community, right? What you're doing right now, this is part of it too. This is because we show each other the love of God. You could all just sit home and I could sit here and, and preach to an empty room, but, and, and there's value to that. Some people can't get out. It's a very valuable thing and we're, we keep offering that, but, but our default is to do this. Our default is to gather in person so that we can then express and, and build one another up in that love. So it's not just a me and God thing, it's a me and, me and you as, we, as it's us and God thing, all right? It's, it's, it's a community thing. And so we stand, not, we stand in the Lord's love, but we don't do it all by ourselves. We stand in the Lord's love together. There's a strong community emphasis here too. So build yourselves up, build ourselves up in, in the Lord's love. So that's the second thing we do. How do you live in, in uh, serious times like this? We stand in the Lord's love and we build ourselves and we build each other up in the Lord's love, which actually leads very well into the third one because the third one has to do with something that happens in community. And the third one is to exercise mercy. Exercise the Lord's mercy uh, toward one another. <clears throat> and that's what verses 22 and 23 are about. In these, uh, in these verses, so let me just situate them first, then I'll read them. Uh, these verses are about how we protect each other. Right? So 20 and 21 are about how I protect myself and how each of us protects ourselves. But we also need to protect each other. And, and that's part of this too. So listen to these two. He says, and have mercy. This is verse 22. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, show mercy with fear hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So again, let's start with the main verb. The main verb here is mercy. Have mercy, show mercy. He actually uses the word twice. You see it in verse 22. You see it again in verse, in, uh, verse 23. And then, so because there's three verbs here, mercy, mercy, and then the middle one is the word save. 
And uh, Jude kind of makes a little mercy sandwich here. So we got mercy, mercy, and then save in between. And the word save, its, its sense is controlled by the mercy that surrounds it. It's just kind of an interpretive uh, how, how I would do it. And so uh, it's, it, the word save, that middle word means to deliver or rescue, but mercy is telling us how to do it. So save, deliver by having mercy. Right? Save them by having mercy on them. And so mercy, showing mercy is the controlling idea of verses 22 and 23. Right? It goes back to verse 2. Right? Verse 2, we, uh, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now we see the multiplied mercy. Here's what multiplied mercy looks like. God had mercy on us. He multiplied his mercy to us in Jesus Christ. Now we multiply his mercy to each other. We multiply it to other people. And that's what we see with these three groups. So he's got three groups here that he talks about that are to be the objects of our mercy. So let's look at the three groups. And the first thing I want to say about them before we look at them individually is that these are all believers. I think that's very important understanding this. In verses 22 and 23, we're talking about how believers treat each other. So he's not telling us here to have mercy on the scoffers. We dealt with the scoffers. That was verses 5 through 16, and you didn't get a lot of mercy there, right? There's a lot of kind of very strong language about that. Remember how, you know, it was very strong stuff. So he's not, when he says have mercy in verses 22 and 23, we're not talking about having mercy on false teachers who are are coming in and hurting the church. We're done with those folks. He's talking now about uh, what to do with fellow believers who are in danger because of false teachers, Right? Because of those people we talked about in verses 5 through 16, here's what we do with each other because of them. And Jude, here, Jude's going to break it into three subgroups. Right? So we're talking about believers, and there's three subgroups here. The first is those who doubt. You could call them the unsteady, if you'd like. In fact, uh, Peter calls them that. Second Peter 2.14, he, he says the false teachers like to entice unsteady souls. Remember that verse, 2 Peter 2, 14. Uh, They like to entice unsteady souls. That's this group. Jude uses different language, but he's talking about the same folks. They're they're doubting. They're they're wavering. Their faith, they're they're saved, but their faith is is unsteady. They've got lots of doubts, lots of questions. The pieces aren't coming together for them right now. Maybe they're, they're going through something personally, and that's stirring them up, but they're struggling. They have doubts. Have mercy on those people. God says through Jude, have mercy on those people. Don't come crashing down on their doubts. No, you shouldn't think that. Don't say that. No, no, no. Don't, don't dismiss people's concerns, right? Instead, have mercy. Be patient. Be loving. Listen, right? Listen to them for a little while. Let them talk. Sometimes that's all somebody needs. They just need to, this stuff is rattling around in their head, and they just need someone who will just let them get it out, these doubts that they're wrestling with. You know, and there are legitimate struggles that, that folks have. What, what, what is wrong with same-sex marriage, Mom? What, what's, what's the problem with being trans? Why do people get, you know, what's, what's the deal with that? Why, why, why is abortion wrong? What's the big deal about sex outside marriage? All these kinds of doubts that, that often young people, but it's not only young people, people of all ages, we, we wrestle with these things sometimes. And, and what we see here, the principle is when people are struggling with those kind of things, don't come in with this heavy hand and shut them down. Oh, no, no, don't, 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 don't think such things. Instead, woo them, right? Woo them with God's love before you start correcting them with God's truth. That's the principle there uh, with those doubts. So, so 
So that's group one. Second group, group number two, uh, I'm going to call them the smoldering, right? So we have the unsteady and then we have the smoldering. Why are they smoldering? They're standing so close to the fire that their clothes are starting to smoke a little bit because that, that's how he describes it. Uh, have mercy on them too. Have mercy on them too. And the way you have mercy, he actually doesn't use that word, but I'm arguing that the meaning carries from both the previous and the next verb. The way to have mercy on those people is to rescue them. That's save, as the word is rescue, deliver. Save them, rescue them by snatching them out of the fire. So there's a sense of urgency here, right? There's a sense of, of peril. There's, there's, there's danger now that wasn't necessarily there with just those doubts that people struggle with. Now there's a sense of, of the person is in, is in danger, but it still needs to be done with mercy, right? If you think of a firefighter, it's Jude's picture, so I'm going to run with it, right? If, if a firefighter gets to a house and the house is on fire and, you know, somebody's standing way too close to the fire and she's about to run in to go save her kitty cat, that he's not going to take the time to introduce himself, ask her who she's related to. He's going to grab her. He's going to pull her away. You know, we'll try to get the cat for you, but you're not going in that building. You're in danger. There's a, a, an urgency to it. And I think that's what we see here. But he's not going to—he's not going to come in and clunk her on the head, though, is he? Right? He's going to. There's going to be a gentleness, a mercy, a firmness, but a mercy in the way he rescues that person. That's the picture here. So rescue, but be, still be merciful. I'm going to say right here that this—I think this one is the hardest of the three. It's the hardest one of the three. And the reason is that it takes discernment. Because it's not always easy to tell. It's hard to tell sometimes if what, the, what we see happening with, with a friend or a loved one, if it's just those kind of doubts that somebody's struggling with, or if the person is actually standing so close that, that they're, you know, metaphorically, their clothes are starting to smolder. And so it, it requires some discernment. It requires being in relationship uh, because it's hard to tell sometimes. But the principle, you know, the, so there's a kind of a two-pronged principle here. The principle is uh, we don't get to just wash our hands of it. Right? We're called to help, we're called to, to, to save, to rescue, uh, but to do so mercifully, to do so in a spirit of gentleness and, and, and concern and compassion for that person. And so that's, that's this second group. The third group, and you can tell there's an escalation here, the third group is, the, I'm going to use the word stained, all coming from the text. So we have the unsteady, those are the doubting. We have the smoldering, the ones who are, are getting pretty close, they're in danger. And then we have the, the, the stained. And so what you have here are, and remember, we're talking about believers, right? These are, you know, so, and we, we've all known people whom this has happened with, right? They, they haven't forsaken their faith, but they're in pretty deep into something that, that they shouldn't be into. And so the, the picture here is he talks about their garments are stained. Their garments are stained. Uh, they're, they're deep into the, the, the false doctrine or the sinful lifestyle, whatever it might be. Uh, the, 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 the advice here, the counsel here is to be careful, right? So see how Jude says this. Uh, he says, uh, he says, with fear, Right? With fear, the idea is be careful. Make sure that you yourself don't get drawn in. Because this becomes the danger, right? When, especially if it's someone we love. If someone we love has drifted into something that's unbiblical and dangerous for them, uh, there's, there's, the, there's always this danger we might go there with them because we love them so much. Right? So, so be careful is the caution. But then also keep your commitment. And also keep your commitment to the truth. He says, hating hating even the garment stained by the flesh, right? So don't uh, get deceived yourself as you're trying to help someone who's, in, who's, who's being deceived. But the verb, the verb, we still need to show mercy. We still need to show mercy, right? It's the same command. So treat with caution, treat with, with uh, commitment, but treat with kindness, 
Treat with love, treat with compassion, right? Sometimes it involves, like say, if it's an adult child, it involves kind of being in it for the long haul, you know, maybe a long-term commitment. That's how that's going to work. But separating, separating what the person is, is, is struggling with versus the person, them, him or herself. Uh, you see this with the, Jude's word choices are very deliberate. He talks about the garment, hating the garment stained by the flesh, but not the person wearing the garment. Right? It's hate the garment, but not the person wearing the garment. Sometimes we'll say, and it can be a little cliche, but there's a truth behind it. Sometimes we'll say it's important to you know, hate the sin, but love the sinner. And like I say, you can, that can be abused and be dismissive. But, but I do think it's a good principle because it, it is what, exactly what we see Jude saying here. He's saying, hate the deception. Hate the deception that's hurting that person. But at the same time, love the person. Love the person who, who's being deceived. Show mercy. Show God's mercy. And so exercise the Lord's mercy. It's, it's, it's uh, fun to show mercy uh, to one another when uh, it's something like, you know, somebody's going through an awful health thing or something like that. that but this is a harder kind of mercy. A, it's a harder mercy, but we're still called to do it. We're still called to, to exercise the Lord's mercy toward one another. So that's another thing. And we're all, many of us are dealing with it in different ways uh, here in, in the serious times in which we live. Friendships, sometimes family relationships, all kinds of different ways. Number four, finally, the fourth way to center our lives on Jesus is to trust. Trust in the Lord's protection uh, for ourselves. And that's what Jude urges us to do here, uh, I think, at the end. Uh, in the last two verses, it's, it's technically it's the benediction to the letter, but the function of the benediction is that he gives us what we need to stay up. <laughs> he gives us what we need to stay encouraged despite all of it. Stay encouraged. Because the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that sometimes it's discouraging to live in times like these. Sometimes, and I would guess many of us, if not all of us have felt it, sometimes it's discouraging for them to be changing, you know, for the rules to be changing, whoever the them is, for the rules to be changing, uh, as I said, but, you know, beneath our feet, as it were. It's discouraging to see believers sometimes deceived. I've had uh, people uh, like kind of, you know, heroes of the faith, people I didn't know personally, but kind of, you know, pastors and theologians and that type. Uh, I own some of their commentaries, and then you, you hear later they've abandoned, you know, they've abandoned the scriptures, or they've abandoned even their faith. It's discouraging to see that happen with some of those people. It's discouraging uh, to see uh, the assault, uh, you know, strong word, but, but it's like that sometimes, the assault on marriage, the assault on family. Uh, it's discouraging sometimes to be the butt of the national joke. I don't know if anybody watches Saturday Night Live, but if they do, you know, it's discouraging to be the butt of the joke on that kind of thing. It's discouraging sometimes. Well, what Jude gives us here in the last two verses is what we need to stay encouraged. Yeah, when, you, when, when, when discouragement's about to set in, just remember this. Verses 24, 25. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Look to the one who is able. That's how the letter ends, right? When you're discouraged, when you're feeling crushed by it all, look to the one who is able. And he's talking about God. That becomes clear in verse 25, although it's probably pretty clear in verse 24. But he says, look to God. He can do it. He is able. Uh, able to do what? Able to do what, Jude? Well, two things. Two things he focuses in on. He's omnipotent, so it's everything. But two things Jude focuses on, and both of them help 
They help with this temptation or this, this pull of discouragement. The first thing is that he's able to keep us from stumbling or, or falling, another translation says. He, him, he was able to keep you from falling. Uh, the, the point is he's got you. He's got you. You're not going to fall flat on your face. And that's, that's really helpful, right? And, and I, we've addressed this kind of tangentially a few times. Let's uh, you know, hit it directly. Um, some of the stuff in these two letters, Second Peter and Jude, some of this stuff is a little scary, right? I, and I know some of you have felt it. Some of you have come and talked to me about it. It almost sounds sometimes like they're saying we, we could lose our salvation, Right? It really does. And I do not think that's what either one of them is teaching. I, I, I believe in and teach the assurance of salvation, security of, of the believer. But, but the warnings are strong, right? And there's a sense in which, you know, when God does this sometimes, he puts these strong warnings here so that we feel the weight of, of the thing that's, that he's warning us against, right? And so there's, I don't know if anybody else, I know some of you have felt it, you know, just this, there's a, 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 almost a sense of being in peril when you read these two letters, but here's how Jude ends. He ends by telling us, if you're trusting in Jesus, you're okay. That's not going to happen. You're not going to fall away from the Lord. Why? Because he is able to keep you from falling. He is able to keep you from falling. We're like toddlers, except we never outgrow it. We're like toddlers learning how to walk, right? We're, our legs are wobbly. Our knees buckle sometimes. Our feet are unsteady. But he's got us. Right? Jesus is holding onto our hands. No mom or dad right, is ever going to be like, go ahead, Susie, take your first step. Ah, yeah. No, and she falls on her face. Eventually, we get to the place where we turn them loose. But, but when you're teaching someone how to walk, you hold on tight. Right? When those little babies or grandbabies, you, you hold on tight. You're not going to let go. That's what Jesus does for us. He's, he's holding on to us. He's able to keep you from falling. He's not going to let you go. So he's got you. You trust in him, he's got you. Uh, the other thing he's able to do, so that's number one, the other thing he's able to do is that he's able to, I'll use his language, present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And so not only does he keep us from falling flat on our faces, he also teaches us how to walk. He does teach us how to walk. He presents us blameless before himself. And really what you have here, it's, it's very kind of elegant language. It's up here, and like I say, it's, it's a benediction to the letter. But really, it's just the gospel. It's just the good news. Jesus washed away our sins when we put our trust in him, and now we are blameless before God. He's able to do that. He's able to present us before himself pure and holy in God's sight. With joy, Jesus does that. How can he do it? Jude makes sure we remember. Well, one, he's God. He is God. He's the only God our Savior, Jude says there in verse 25. And he's also super great. Super great. And that's my awkward way of summarizing those beautiful words. Uh, to him, to that only God our Savior, to him be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. So what's he got? He's got all the greatness. He's got all the power. He's got all the authority. He's got all the strength. He's got all the everything good. And it's never going to change. That's never going to change. It's been that way forever in the past. It's that way now in the present. And it's going to be that way forever in the future. That's where we get the peace. One more time back to verse 2. May mercy, peace, 
and love be multiplied to you. Here's the multiplied peace. We have peace even in the most chaotic, senseless, serious times imaginable because of Jesus. Right? No matter how bad things get or feel like they're getting or whatever, we have peace, not because we stick our heads in the sand, but because we're with Jesus, because Jesus has us, because uh, he is able. So that's where our peace comes from. Our peace comes from the one who is able. It comes from Jesus. I'm uh, working my way right now through a, a documentary I've been watching. I tend to watch things in slow motion. <laughs> it's a, a three-part documentary. I've watched about half of it. And uh, it's about an earthquake that happened. A few of us might remember this if you pay attention to this kind of thing. Uh, in 2015, there was a major, major earthquake in Nepal. And it was really a devastating earthquake, devastated Kathmandu, the capital city, like a couple dozen people were killed on Mount Everest. It's a serious thing. And uh, this is a documentary about what happened when that earthquake hit. And kind of the, the style with documentaries these days is a lot of times they'll tell stories. So rather than kind of focus on, on the facts and all that kind of thing, they'll, they'll tell the stories of different people who were affected by this thing. And so one of the stories they're telling is about a man, a man who lived in Kathmandu, and he owned a hotel. So Kathmandu is this huge city, millions of people. It's like the only big city in, in Nepal. But, but he owned a hotel in Kathmandu. And he had moved there relatively recently. So he had maybe a year or two before was kind of the sense you get. And he'd moved from a very rural area, this tiny little village, to the big city. He bought a hotel and he brought his family with him. And uh, the way they told the story, they didn't really go into a lot of background for this guy, but they made it clear he was kind of a tough guy. Uh, I don't know if he was in the criminal world or what. They kind of glossed over that piece. But he, he had a reputation. When he came to this town, very quickly word got out, and he kind of looked, looked the part too. You know, and he, he was a tough guy. This was a guy you didn't want to mess with. And he talked about that a little bit in this documentary. Then they cut to his daughter. And he had this little girl, and she's probably mid-teens now as they were doing it, but she was probably like seven, eight years old uh, when they moved there. And they asked her, they said, what was that like for you as a little girl moving to the big city? What was it like to move to Kathmandu? You'd been in this little village. It's quiet. You knew everybody. Now you're in this big city. There's chaos. It's dangerous. It's noisy. You don't know anybody. What was that like for you? They asked her. And I loved her answer. All that was to share with you what she said. Uh, she, she alluded to her dad's reputation. She kind of said how people were intimidated by her dad. And then this is what she said. She said, no one could touch me because of my dad. No one could touch me because my dad was like that. And so I wasn't afraid of anything. I love that when she said that. Because when we center our lives on Jesus, we get to live with that same sort of confidence. We get to live with that same confidence. In fact, ours is far better than what she had. Ours is far better because we're not talking about a, a human father's protection. We're talking about the all-powerful God. Right, the one who has all that stuff I just talked about a minute ago. We are far better off. So how do you live with sense in senseless times? Center your life on Jesus. Center your life on Christ. That's what it all comes down to. Serious times or not, there's no better way to live than a life centered on the Savior. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you so much. Uh, that you are able. You are able to protect us. You are able to guide us. You are able to watch over us. Uh, you are able to, to cause us to thrive 
uh, even in situations where we wouldn't thrive. And it's all uh, up to you. It's all thanks to you. We praise you and thank you for that. Uh, Help us to live uh, wise lives, sensible lives, discerning lives, merciful lives, lives that are centered on your love like we talked about today. May that characterize us, and may it overflow so much that others see the difference, both in our words and in our deeds, that we would truly be different. We look to you for that. We can't do it in ourselves. This isn't positive thinking. This is the Holy Spirit who lives within us, and we ask you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.